episode of the Boss Babes Club podcast. I'm your host Riley and I'm so excited to be back for another episode. It has been a hot minute since I've jumped on the podcast and done um, a podcast. (laughs) Um, But basically I just wanted to do a little bit of a disclaimer for today's episode. It will be discussing the subject of mental health and self-harm. It may be triggering to some so please skip this episode if you feel it is not for you or at least make sure you are in a safe and comfortable space And I will leave some helplines in today's show notes if you need. So today's guest is actually um, very near and dear to me. We share blood, grandparents, and clothes at some stage, I'm sure. (laughs) So um, Raven Lee is an inspiration to me because she has chosen to push through a lot of mental health and a lot of grief dealing with losing a parent as well, as I'm sure a lot of other things that have come with growing up will discuss as well. Um, She is a youth-focused ambassador, has her very own blog, Ray's Rambles, and is a freelance writer. So, welcome, Reagan. Hi, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, I don't know if you're talking to me or the (laughs) listeners. Um, So, I want to give you the opportunity just to tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you studying? Where are you hoping to go? Who are you? <laughs> Who am I? That is literally the first blog post that I've written. Um, I don't know. <laughs> That's the whole point. Um, but I am a journalist student um, here at, in, at Edith Cowan University. Um and that's the most interesting thing about me at the moment. That's pretty cool, though. But in life, I'd like to be an author, and I'd like to continue blogging because I feel like it's helping me with a platform that's going to help other people that have had similar experiences to me that, you know, don't need to feel alone anymore. Yeah. Love that. It's quite funny that you say journalism because I feel like you always, like, you used to write little books. <laughs> like, even as a kid, like, I remember you would fully write books. So yeah. it's kind of cool that that's, like, continued on to actually be like your career path that you're wanting to go down. It's funny that you say that because you were the first person who ever read something I'd written and went, oh my God, what happens next? Yeah, literally. Great. I remember. Yeah. Holding on for dear life. (laughs) Next page. And And it's been 10 years. (laughs) So, um, for those, I don't know if I even mentioned it at the start, but you are my cousin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. Nearest and dearest. We share blood and grandparents. Yeah, I actually mentioned Reagan is my cousin. So we are related through our mums were sisters mm-hmm. and um, I kind of just wanted to start a little bit just talking about like what it was like growing up together because we're pretty close in age I think there's like 18 months between Something us like that, yeah. really really similar in age so growing up we were kind of interested in a lot of the same things um, I was trying to think of like best memories and I think like some of them were like you used to have the best birthday party. <laughs> Mum threw the most bomb-ass parties. Like, I don't know how she came up with half the stuff. Like, and it was just, I felt like they would go for, like, hours and hours and hours. And they were just so fun. Scavenger hunts, dance parties, music teams, groups. Fucking awesome. Yeah. Can you swear on him? Yeah. <laughs> cool. 
and there was the um i remember there was one i still got photos of it where like she did like makeovers on us all and the took, diva like, party took, like photos out the front yeah red carpet celebrity yes. kind of thing oh my god that's right every time it had like a theme yeah so over there was mermaids there was fairies there was cowboy western oh my god that's so good <laughs> so i just think back and like parties just aren't the same no then. and another memory that i was thinking of um was just like every time we would like drive down to mandra and visit granny granddad like we'd just listen to music all the time and when we'd get there we'd like color in and play all these games and stuff do you still remember that that like rug or like blanket we had to sit on when we ate food and you made me laugh so hard we were making spiders in our mouths and i snorted it all over you i don't remember any blanket it was like we would have to sit on it when we were eating and like coloring in because we weren't allowed to eat on the couch and we'd get yeah. like the pens all over the couch or whatever like that oh God, i'm trying to wrap my what color was it it was just like a plain like pinky blanket and it had like a frill on the outside oh my god i can't believe you remember that i don't remember <laughs> that at all granddad's boat oh yeah we used to play in that all the time uh-huh. hey it was great shopkeeper like yeah. over the side of the boat and mermaids in the pool yeah <laughs> and See, wedding planners oh 100 <laughs> percent. so a lot of good memories yeah. <laughs> a lot of fun memories we would go to we went to same primary school um, and you used to like go and if I was getting bullied, you'd like walk down to like, tell the bullies <laughs> off. <laughs> Literally, like don't even think about it. <laughs> so I guess the main thing that I really wanted to discuss with you was what it was like losing your mum. So for me personally, this isn't something that I've discussed really at all through social media because I've never really felt necessary to share this. But like you said, like I think it's a good opportunity to really help people. Um, so... In 2014, Reagan lost her mum, who was my auntie, to suicide. I guess the main thing that I really wanted to discuss is what it was like losing your mum. And like we can talk about this as little as little or as much as you want to, whatever you're comfortable with. But it's something that I've never spoken about publicly online. But in 2014, Reagan lost her mum and I lost my auntie to suicide. So for me personally, it came as a complete shock. I was hidden a lot from her mental illness leading up to that stage. But I know obviously from speaking with you and um, your blogs and obviously just within our family, like your upbringing was quite different to that and to that kind of um, understanding of it. And obviously you were quite affected by that mental illness that she had. Um, Yeah, I just kind of wanted to know a little bit about that. So my childhood would have been very different to how outside people saw it, mm-hmm. how you would have interpreted it, how my teachers would have interpreted it. It's just everything was so hidden from everyone around us. Yeah. Um, but growing up with my mom, who was mentally ill, was really difficult. And, and I'm sorry, what mental illness did she have? She had borderline personality disorder, which is really hard to explain because it's a very complicated mental illness. But it stems from like a traumatic event and it just shit hits the fan. Things go wrong in your brain. Mm-hmm. And it's not great, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, but one of the key points of, or key symptom of BPD is a fear of abandonment. Mm-hmm. And that's what my mum had so intensely that um, when I was younger, she tried to take her own life because she didn't think we were going to come back from dad's. Yeah. Even though we, we were. She's got it in her mind we weren't. We were abandoning her. We're never going to come back. And so she tried to take her own life. And I guess she like she split from your dad as well. So that's exactly. like another trigger for her. Yeah. 
Um, and then eventually when she did succeed in taking her own life, uh, my stepdad had left her um, that weekend. So it was just this pile on, pile on, pile on to uh, succeed. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm aware, she tried over half a dozen times to take her own life while I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew what was going on from the age of about 13. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had about two years of genuine knowledge of what had happened and like a whole heap of retrospect. Yeah. But growing up, it was very much, your mom's going to hospital now, mm-hmm. not knowing why. Yeah. Um, but I knew my mum was unwell. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to, to look after her, you know. Um, we were living off microwave meals for months on end because mum was just too unwell to cook, um, which, you know, isn't great for kids. Um, and I just had to try and, like, look after her and look after my brother. I was putting my brother to bed most nights because mum was already in bed, um, which means I didn't have a bedtime, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, at the, the time. time. And then yeah. looking back when you're, like, a bit older, you're like, ah, oh, that wasn't <laughs> Wasn't the best. Yeah, people would be talking about cartoons that they liked, and I'm like 10 years old going, did you see the latest Criminal Minds episode? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no. No, not allowed to watch that. <laughs> I, was like, I watched Ghost Whisperer, like, yeah. for so oh, long. Best show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with mum's mental illness, you know, I've caught some of my own problems. Like, I was scary dependent on sharing a bed with mum for years, or mm-hmm. sharing a bed with anyone, because... Mum wanted us close, so I'd be sleeping in her bed a lot of the time. Yeah. Or she'd spend time at the psychiatric ward, and when she got out, she'd have a rescue. (laughs) She'd Mm -hmm. have someone with her that she met at the ward who needed a safe space, so they'd have my room and I slept with Mum. So that caused, you know, issues for me, uh, developmental-wise, growing up. Yeah. Um, And, you know, she would tell us all the time, don't tell people. People can't know that I'm screaming at you all the time. People can't know that... um, I haven't gotten out of bed for two days. People can't know that you're walking to school at seven years old. People yeah. can't know this because then people will worry they'll take you from me. Mm-hmm. So it was very secretive. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to tell my dad, grandparents, you, your mom. I wasn't allowed to tell anyone, mm-hmm. which, you know, didn't seem like a problem at nine years old, but obviously looking back on it isn't great. Yeah. Um, that's not to say obviously my childhood was all bad. I talked about the parties that she used to throw. Yeah. And, all of that kind of thing, but it was very... So was it like, was it like for you that there were times where it was really low and then times where it was like really high? Yeah, so kind of, um, definitely there was times where mum would be in a really great mood and she'd open all the windows and she'd be baking cakes all day and mm. she'd be like the perfect mother. Um, sometimes because I was not having a good time at primary school, she'd like climb into bed and say you need to get up now and I just wouldn't want to get up and go to school so she'd just give me the day off to to you know survive primary school Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but there was also days when it was just toxic yeah the best way to put it and the thing that was the main problem was I never knew what version of mum I was going to get yeah I'd be walking home from primary school feeling like I'm going to throw up because I don't know if I get home mum's going to be screaming at me because last night I did the dishes but I didn't put the last dish away yeah and she's losing her mind Mm -hmm. or if she's going to be baking cupcakes and asking me how my day was yeah I just I never knew yeah that would be kind of scary not knowing yeah yeah it wasn't great yeah (laughs) I guess um yeah, I feel like that can probably cause a bit of anxiety, like, from a young age as well, like... I was about nine when I realised something was wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I um, 
said I didn't want something for dinner that she was making and she left the house. Oh. And it was like six o'clock at night and she just got in the car and drove out. Were you kind of hoping she was going to the shop? To the <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, because she had lost her shit at me. Uh, yeah. And I was like, you're so ungrateful. Sorry, I'm such a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't deserve you. You have to make yourself food tonight. You're obviously so grown up. And so she'd start with the whole, I hate myself. I hate you. I'm going to make you feel guilty. And then she got in my car and left. Yeah. Um, my brother was like seven. And he had no idea what was going on. Yeah. He was watching cartoons or doing his homework or something. And I'm sitting in the kitchen on the floor crying, going, I know I have to feed him. I have to feed myself. And I've never cooked before. Mm-hmm. And so I started to try and make the meal that mom had planned. Planned to make. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I failed miserably, obviously. Um, and she came back and she, you know, apologized and told me that I didn't deserve that and that I was really brave for trying to make the food. And then she, she made dinner and it was fine. But that night I went, that's not okay. That's not normal. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't do anything about it because mum made me promise not to tell anyone. Yeah. So I just started to learn to cook and yeah. kind of like heat up meals and stuff like that. Over time, did you somewhat develop like a way of knowing like the best way to calm her down, like the best way to handle her in those situations? Or was it just like completely unable to? It was kind of like you just got to go with it. I wish I could say that at 10 years old, I had the emotional intelligence to say, oh, I found the pattern, I can calm her down now, but I really had no idea. I was just a 10-year-old kid getting yelled at for Mm. no reason. Yeah. Um, And a few times, you know, I asked for help. Like, call Gran and be like, can you come get me? Like, I'm scared, I don't know what's going on. And mum would be like, oh, they're just exaggerating. She's just in trouble for this. Like, don't come. Yeah. And so she very much undermined us. So she'd be losing her shit, I'd ask for help, that made things worse. So I kind of just took it, um, let her... Use me as a metaphorical punching bag when yeah. she was not feeling well. Um, which I I want to say it was fine, but I know it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was the only thing I could do. Yeah. I suppose as well, like, when you're at that age and that's pretty much all you know, like, was it because you were also going and staying with your dad that made you realise something wasn't right? Or was it more like seeing kids at school and their parents that made you be like, hang on, like, I don't... You know, my parent, my friends never mentioned being scared about going home and their parents being really angry or, like, was that? Yeah, so it was a lot of that. Um, a lot of seeing other kids with their parents. And I was an avid reader. So mm-hmm. I would read books and, you know, the family life would be so different. And I was like, well, is this, like, what normal is? Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't have that. Um, but I think when I was reading Kathy Cassidy books... Um, I remember that. <laughs> my face just lit up. I was like, oh my god. Throw back. <laughs> Literally. Um, I started reading Kathy Cassidy books and, you know, the whole point of them was to have a child in, like, a really shitty home life so that this child didn't feel alone when they were reading it. And I was reading one and it was about this woman, like, or this kid and this mom that was not well. Mm. And I was like, hold on a minute. I was like nine or ten reading these books going, um... Why are you saying your mom's sick? Why are you saying that your mom shouldn't... That's what my mom does. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a little bit of a eureka, but also holy shit <laughs> moment like, in my life. Is there a hidden camera and yeah. someone's writing a book about my life? Um, but, you know, going to dad's house and um, uh, using that as a comparison, no, I can't say that that helped because my dad was in a relationship at the time with a very unwell woman. Um, mm. 
so that did not help any situations but she left um she was out of my life by the age of about nine mm. um she tried to come back though didn't she a few times <laughs> i remember hearing stories yeah. about that so she scared me <laughs> just see her at school and be like ah, yeah talk to you. <laughs> yeah exactly so she left when i was about nine and i was told she left because she was unwell like she was left out of my life because she was bad influence and i was like but like she did the same thing mom would do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> and they used to pit me like against the other person, like show me a boy abusive voicemails that the other person was leaving for the other person. Yeah, and I'm like, so she's the one that got kicked out. What about mom? Yeah, <laughs> when she getting kicked yeah. out? <laughs> <laughs> to, to tango. Um, not to say like I wanted mom to go, no, no. <laughs> but like you know. Yeah. So understanding mm. was there a particular bad time that you can remember that like just really sticks out for you like um it just got worse and worse so all the time yeah so the further along mm-hmm. the worse it got but i think also because of it i got older and i, I kind of knew that mm. things were wrong yeah and i was you know putting it together that this wasn't the way life was supposed to be yeah and so i started to see more of the things that I was glazing over when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily know if it did get worse and worse. I was just seeing. You were just aware of it more. Yeah. Exactly. Because I think it's uh, it's important to mention as well that, like, my my perspective of of her was very, like, of, of my auntie, it was very different because when I would go there, all my experiences with her have been positive. And when, when it all, you know, came to an end and, and she did pass away, it was very much like everyone was kind of just like, everyone was obviously sad, but everyone was kind of just like, like a weight had been yeah. lifted off their shoulders because probably every time the phone rang, every call, like time she contacted them, they, they may have thought that was it. So it was kind of like this moment where it was like, oh my God, like all these years of dealing with this on and off have come to an end. And I feel sick for saying that. Oh, no, I've spoken freely and openly and with intensive therapy about the relief (laughs) I felt when mum died. I felt guilt and I felt grief and I felt horror and depressed and heartbroken. Yeah. But there was relief because Mm. I'd spent so many years trying to deal with this. Yeah. I didn't have to anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I still feel awful for saying it, Mm. but it's the truth yeah it's how it was yeah and i completely know that your memories of mum were happy or yeah. comfortable or like lying on the couch watching movies and mm-hmm. the cuddles and the kisses and the support and the love and it was warm and it was happy and it was bright because there were days like that yeah and you were always there for them mm-hmm. and she loved you so much yeah and everybody knew who you were mm-hmm. and but you know you'd leave and some days the day would continue like that and then some days they'd get worse yeah um so just and that like that blows my mind thinking about that that like i thought like i would go home and i'd be like oh, wish i got to stay for longer mm-hmm. well i wish oh like i would spend the whole weekend with her when you guys were with like dad obviously when you were there as well but there would be weekends that she would be on her own and i would go over there and looking back i'm glad i did you know like who knows? Like, because obviously she would put on, not put on a show, but I think, I don't know, maybe. She, she was very good at that. She kind of kept it really light and happy when I was there. I never really 
So I remember there would be some days that it would be like a Sunday morning and we'd get up and watch TV and we'd make our own breakfast and she'd be laying in bed. But I just thought she was tired because, you know, she's an adult. She was a sing like single mum. I just thought that was normal. Like I never really questioned it because obviously we were young, but I would go over there and I'd spend the whole weekend with her and it would just be, yeah, we'd colour in, we'd play games, we'd have so much fun. It just like, it was... A complete 100% 110% shock when it happened because I'd never been I mean I was 16 I was five it was five days before my 17th birthday and it was just this complete shock out of nowhere it yeah a lot of people were shocked I remember I wanted to tell my friends before I went back to school so they were ready for it and I rang some of them and I was like my mum passed away and I was like how and I'd have to be like, she took her own life. And they were always like, what do you mean? Like, she was always so happy. Like, she was mm. always so full of life. And I was like, you guys don't understand. Like, yeah. I knew this was coming one day. Mm. But this has happened. And everyone was just so taken by surprise. Yeah. I want to also, like, acknowledge and obviously take this time to, like, well, I don't know. I just don't want to. I don't want it to come across that we're just like hating on her or like making no, her sound of not. really bad. So I just want to obviously take the time to acknowledge that this obviously was a mental illness, and that she wasn't a bad person at all. No, mum was so good-hearted, so pure. Yeah. Like she just wanted everyone to be happy all the time. Yeah. And sometimes that was at the detriment to herself. Mm. She had such a big heart. She did. Yeah such a big heart yeah <laughs> and do you know like obviously she would go to like psych wards and you know hospital hospital that kind of thing do do you know if she ever like would seek any other kind of professional help she was seeing a psychiatrist mm -hmm. um but as far as i'm aware from what i've heard since she died um she wasn't seeing the right one my mum didn't believe that she had what she had yeah so she would see psychiatrists and they'd diagnose her with BPD and so she'd go find another one mm -hmm. and another one and another one until she found the psychiatrist that diagnosed her with just depression. Yeah. And so mum was on the wrong medication, she was getting the wrong kind of treatment, so it, all, it didn't help anything. That's a shame, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I know about BPD, um, or at least what I've been told yeah. about BPD, is that... It's something that people will not believe that they've got. Like, it, that is a normal thing. Like, one of the symptoms is, like, denial. Yeah. Um, and one of the, the first stages of getting the right treatment is accepting you've got it. And mum just wouldn't accept that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of this memory because I would obviously go to your house before school. Mum worked, like, her mum had her own business or would just work, really, like, a lot back then. <laughs> and I would get dropped at your house in the morning in the morning before school. Otherwise, I'd literally get dropped off before school opened. Mm -hmm. Um and your mum was like brushing your hair and she got so angry that she like threw the brush and I remember like stepping in the doorway and being like what the hell like she I was scared because she lost it and the brush broke in half mm -hmm. that was like the fifth hairbrush that had happened to we went through hairbrushes like monthly we had them all over the house because it was gonna happen the one time that I love, she wouldn't brush my hair anymore was when she smacked me with the back of the hairbrush and yeah. that what smacked it. Wow. And so we, I just stopped letting her brush my hair yeah. from then on. I just, yeah, I kind of just wanted to, everyone to be aware that obviously like I had a really good um, experience with her in my 17 years with her. Um, 
And yeah. I did too. Like, yeah. I obviously had some great experiences, but it was yeah. just a very different, you know, behind closed doors situation. Yeah. And like, people never know. No, no. I think that goes with, like we were talking about today, that, that kind of does go with a lot of mental health. People not wanting to speak up or not knowing how to, or people kind of putting up a bit of a front um, in front of people because that's the way that they deal with it the best that they can. Yeah. Um, it's a coping skill. Not a yeah. good one, but a coping no, skill. exactly. But, yeah, I just kind of wanted to um, say that, you know, I miss her every day. <laughs> and, um, both. like, obviously a part of me wishes that she was still here, but I also feel like if she was, like, it would be really bad like almost like to the point that like it wouldn't it wouldn't have she wouldn't have been happy yeah it wouldn't have been good no. dealing with that as a child and obviously going through the loss of your mother how do you think that has played a part in the person you are today that's such a, a big question because my life has been so sort of shaped by by mom and my childhood yeah. and, and the loss of her mm-hmm. so i can't even imagine not having that. <laughs> like, I can't imagine the, the perfect white picket fence family household. I, I can't. Um, I can't imagine healthy relationships with a mother. You know, I want to be an author. I've written, tried to write characters, and every character I've ever written, the relationship they have with their mom is not healthy. Yeah. So I can't imagine what it would be like. But the person I am today has, you know, been so influenced by that for good and bad reasons. Yeah. Um, I'd like to think if I'd been raised in a more stable environment and um, hadn't been forced to grow up as quickly as I did, then maybe I would have been happier growing up. Um, maybe I wouldn't have had the tendencies I do have now to be somewhat self-destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably have a better go of uh, maintaining and <laughs> relating to people in friendships and relationships. Um, so, you know, I would have had a better or at least different skills um, or development milestones. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, I am such a caring person and I try so hard to help other people. Um, like, I have a mentally unwell housemate and, you know, she knows that anything that she needs, I, I'm will do my best to help her. Yeah. And, you know, I've got my blog and I'm a Youth Focus ambassador and that's all because of what I've been through. Yeah. So... True. The, now that I've I've lost my mum, it's put me in a unique position that I can try and help other people. Yeah. And for that, I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to think that I'm not as spoiled as I would have been, you know. I got a heavy dose of the real world quite young and, and because of that, I use that in the best ways possible yeah yeah I feel definitely like the caring side of you and like you said as well when you were talking about your mum like I feel like it can almost be it can be a positive thing but in your in your case it can also be a bit of a negative thing because I feel like you care so much and so deeply about others that you've forgotten to care about Mm. yourself Apparently, so I'm told. <laughs> so I'm told by uh, you, my dad, my therapist, you know, yeah. all the important people um, have, you know, told me a few times, like, settle down, they're not your responsibility. But mm. it's ingrained in me now. Yeah. I'm mother hen, you know. Yeah, I'm for sure. Tried to raise my brother the best that I could. <laughs> um, you, ca- you could have gone down a really rough path. And I feel like you've definitely gone through a lot. Like, you've gone through those stages of grief. 
Um, and we'll touch on that, I think, a little bit more as well. But I feel like you have taken, like, something that was obviously really traumatic and really awful and you've come out on the other side of it. And that in itself is an inspiration. You've done well for yourself considering because I think a lot of people can go down similar path they can you know turn to substance abuse they can <laughs> they can you know do a lot of bad things and go down a really negative path and you've chosen not to do that and that has that does show strength in you thank you and you should be proud of yourself for that because there are a lot of people in your situation and in a you know less worse off situation than you who have chosen to so not see their yeah exactly self-medicate not see their strength think what's the point and you should be proud of yourself like you are a uni student you're going like you're doing something as well to do with that that you're really passionate about you're also a youth focus ambassador tell us a little bit about what that includes um so being a youth focus ambassador is pretty much just like supporting this organization which is a non-for-profit youth counseling service did um, i tell you to say that <laughs> no actually, you're like it is a um, <laughs> i actually messed it up so they um deal with you know a lot of you know depression suicide self-harm anxiety mm-hmm. um and it, it's free you have to get um referred by yourself or by a family member or a friend or a teacher or whoever they can refer you you go through that the waiting period and then you've got as much counseling as you need for as long as you need it for no price if you're under the age of 24. wow that's really cool yeah um, and I was a client of theirs for a little while, um, currently still, or back at counselling, because I'm in a rough year. <laughs> um, 2020, though. It, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they um, have done a lot of work with me as an ambassador, not just as, as a client. Um, so I've done, like, videos for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, like, spoken about my experiences and how they've helped me. I've done a couple of photo shoots and been used as their... Um, you know, they're poster child, so to speak. <laughs> um, I'm literally on one of their cars. So Wow. Yeah, and I've been like That's cool. Thank you. I'm gonna see I would see that one day and we'll be like, oh <laughs> I've been using like I've written stuff for their newsletters, um, for their website, I've written things for campaigns that they've done. Um, I walked out of my therapy session the other day, looked down at the table in the waiting room, and I'm on a pamphlet. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, yeah, hi. It, it, yes, it's me. <laughs> Hold your autographs, please. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it, it's been fun. It's been really, yeah, fun and interesting to, to do things like that and yeah. to be, you know, a positive influence and a positive face for mm-hmm. such an important organization um yeah so yeah no i really like being an ambassador and i've been to so many of their events and i love it so much yeah um because you know i get to talk to all these important people and tell them you know how amazing your focus is for me and how i hope other people can get get that mm-hmm. and were you on one of their podcasts was it their pod no ymca i was ymca wa i was on their podcast it's called why check yeah that's cool i need i keep meaning to listen to that episode (laughs) but i'm a little bit upset like i didn't take your podcast virginity so how did you personally feel that you dealt with or handled the grief of losing your mum like tell us like from finding out what were the stages (laughs) oh that's a doozy of a question yeah um it's an interesting story Mm -hmm. um because there are a lot of um, 
factors that played into my immediate reaction. Yeah. To finding out that mum had died, starting with the fact that I'd already guessed it. Um, I got the goodbye message. And I got the stay at dad's for a bit longer message. And I got the I'm just really sad message. Yeah. Um, so part of me knew. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because mum and I had had a fight before I went to dad's house, which often put mum in a in a negative headspace anyway. With yeah. The whole fear of abandonment thing. And then when she told me that her husband had left, um, I kind of worked it out. And so when dad told me mum wasn't going to wake up, um, it was a surprise, but it also wasn't. Yeah. Um, and I felt guilty because I'd already sort of worked it out and I didn't do anything to stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother made this god awful noise <laughs> when he found out and it broke my heart. Um, so I, yeah, started crying. There was a lot of feelings. Yeah. Um, and something that I've worked out recently is that because of the wave of feelings that happened straight after finding out that she died and the two or three days after, I have um, developed this habit of being able to turn my feelings off. <laughs> yeah. So it's like compartmentalizing and just being like, no, not right now. Yeah, not dealing with that now. Um, which is something that I'm slowly starting to decompartmentalize everything. Yeah. Because uh, after six years, it's uh, about time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I started to compartmentalize all my feelings and to the point where I stopped feeling anything. So mm-hmm. there was, you know, a year after mom died that I didn't feel anything. I was numb and empty and yeah. very down and depressed. You were very like, don't care kind of yeah. attitude, I remember. And I thought I was hiding it very well, but clearly... <laughs> you weren't very sorry the news for you. So yeah, it was a very... And, like, it was clearly more than just your typical 16-year-old girl. It was very much a um, numb 16-year-old girl. Like, I just went to my room and didn't do anything. I don't know how I passed year 10, because I'm pretty sure it was just pity votes from my teachers. Like, she failed, but I'm going to give her an A. She's yeah. going through it. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> And I, yeah. You're like, you look back at it, you're like, I didn't even answer anything. Like, I, I did not hand in a single assignment. I don't understand. Okay? I don't get it. And well, she wrote her name. So it's fine. I swear to God. And I did, like, the leadership camp, and I'm like, I really should not have been on the leadership camp. I might have had leadership qualities in middle school, but then I, like, lost them all for a little mm. while. Um... <laughs> Oh, oh my god. Slowly I started to come back into the real world. <laughs> and um yeah. And was that through therapy you found? Um, through different kinds of therapy. I had to hit hit rock bottom. Yeah. I'm not sure if you remember the night that I ended up coming here at like midnight and slept in your bed with you. <laughs> no. And then no. Um Oh I do remember. Yeah. I'm trying to maybe I just blocked all this out. I was like, oh it's too much. <laughs> Honestly, I like rocked up. I was like sitting in your living room talking to your mom and I was like, You can't call dad, I don't want to go back home. Like I'd run away from home. It was yeah. the whole thing. And oh, I do remember this. Yeah, and I ended up sleeping in your bed with you, like we were three again. <laughs> and my dad Goals. woke me up. <laughs> um so you know, I hit rock bottom. And that was after, like, three or four different types of therapy that just weren't working for me. Yeah. Um, there was a brief hospital visit overnight, um, and there was an outpatient program for a little while, and then I, yeah, I was taking youth focus, and I dropped out of school. Mm-hmm. I didn't do year 12. 
um, tried TAFE, didn't like that, <laughs> and um, started to sort of pull, my, pull myself together and try again and again and again. I got out of my home, um, at <coughs> got out of home, started to work more. Um, I was a nanny for a little while, worked mm. with some kids, which was great. Yeah. Um, and then I moved in with family. Uh, my stepsister and her mom <laughs> um, yeah and I slowly got my feet back under me you know I did my bridging course I got another job um started at uni so I yeah started to pull my feet up under me work really really hard and yeah got to where I am now but there was a lot you know the really dark phase in my life where that wasn't something I even considered I, I thought yeah. I was going to be dead by the age of 18 mm-hmm. so when I turned 18 it was like weird yeah um and you know turned 18 and I was like I now have to plan (laughs) for a life I didn't know I was gonna have yeah wow um which is hard um that's crazy but that's big of you to admit that mm, yeah yeah. wow and so then I started to actually put a plan in place Mm. and here I am wow so yeah dark part of my life was you know dark and tragic Mm -hmm. but with therapy and with you know listening to the people that actually gave a shit about me yeah um and finding coping mechanisms through therapy and through listening to myself yeah I was able to come through it and on the other end of the the dark part of grief there was anger Mm -hmm. like how dare mom do that yeah Uh, how dare she put me through all of that but also how dare she raise me like that Mm -hmm. um there was denial um, but not in the typical no it didn't happen denial, but in a that hasn't affected me denial. Yeah. Okay, so to like denying that you were yeah. Yeah, that hurt. I was hurt, that I was upset. It was very much like, no, it's fine, I'm fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I think I said it's fine. <laughs> so many times. Every time Raven says it's fine. <laughs> um and that was what You're I was drunk. Doing. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you might want to go to hospital for that one. <laughs> um, so I said that so many times then as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went through the typical stages and it did, did end with acceptance. Mm-hmm. I know that she's dead. I know that it affected me and I know that there's no coming back from that. Yeah. But um, it was a it was a relief in the end to sort of be able to sit down and go, she is dead. It's not okay what happened. Yeah. I wasn't okay when it happened mm-hmm. and it's gonna be okay. Yeah. It just took me, you know, a couple of years to get yeah. to that point. Yeah, I know. I feel like that that would take a really long time to even just be able to say that like you're saying it right now. Like and I think grief, like if it, if it's anything I've learned, like it just comes in waves. Like mm-hmm. you will never get over that grief, obviously. It's a huge thing. We lost someone really important to us, like to me, she was, like, a best friend more than she was just, like, my my mum's sister. And I think it, it does – it comes in waves. And it's, like, at first the waves are, like, crashing on you over and over again that you're, like, getting dumped and you actually can't physically come up for air. But then slowly, as you go through time, the waves come fewer and far apart. And sometimes the waves are bigger than they were. So you're dealing with that, that hurt and that pain deeper and greater. But it's – the the duration between becomes further and further apart yeah i um i completely understand that from like a third party perspective it wasn't quite like that for me okay um the way that i i can quote a book that i read that it kind of explained it um the book is called red white and royal blue Mm -hmm. um and 
one of the main characters' dad died years before the book was written and yeah. based. And the the main character's loving partner was like, I don't understand what's wrong. Like, this thing that's happened wasn't worthy of this much sadness. Yeah. And the, 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 the sister was like, he misses dad. You know, this big thing has happened and dad's not here. Yeah. It's like this well, you know, you as a person who hasn't lost anyone will hit rock bottom, but for people that have lost their parent or someone in such a tragic way, it's deeper and you can't see that deepness and it goes forever Mm -hmm. and you can try and fill it up as much as you want, but there will always be this hollowness that they'll never be able to fill. Yeah. And so when something big happens, it goes deeper and it hits harder. Yeah. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. And it's not something you need to try to fill. It's just something you need to know is there. Yeah. So like more like big events or like if something happens where you would usually go to her for it like just feels like even emptier yeah. than usual. Yeah. Yeah. And like when you do get sad and you know, mum was such a comfort to me. Yeah. I'd turn around. And be like, that was just her personality. Yeah, it was comforting, right? Yeah. So when something sad happens and I want to go find mum, like I can't and that makes the hollow feeling worse or like yeah. the sadness worse. Yeah. For um, sure. Yeah. And how do you feel like you've dealt with your own mental health? Like, where's your, what do you, like, what do you feel like you've <laughs> kind of dealt with? Um, Whether that's because of what's happened or just in your general life. In general life, general life. yeah. yeah. Um, so I've got a couple of mental health diagnoses myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're jack of all trades. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, something that I, I work really hard every day to keep a lid on, yeah. <laughs> keeping control of. Um, and some days are easier than others, and I think that's said for everyone. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, over the past couple of years, I've worked really hard to learn mm-hmm. the different stages of my mental illness. So, like, yeah. when I'm getting depressed, I can find all the warning signs now, and I can try to take in the active steps to make it work. Yeah. Um, and when I'm getting anxious, I now have, like, all the correct fidgets and all the grounding techniques and all of the things that are going to make it easier to get through this wave of anxiety. Yeah. Um, and if I'm having a PTSD episode because um, somebody's yelling at me and I'm having a flashback to mum mm-hmm. or anything like that, I know how to ride through that wave now. I can yeah. say, I'm not there. It's not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still obviously really, really hard. Yeah, but of course. I'm able to sort of work through it on the other side and it doesn't knock me down for as long anymore. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest, most um, important development or stage that I'm at is that I know when to ask for help mm-hmm. um, that's huge and you know at the start of this year things were really hard for me mental health wise um, and it only felt like it was getting worse and I didn't really know what to do about it it's like I tried so hard over the past few years to pull my shit together and it was all falling apart yeah and I had to ask for help mm-hmm. and I did and I'm getting through it now yeah coming out the other side that's awesome (laughs) of it so that's i think what you've said is really good to mention for people that perhaps don't really like haven't experienced firsthand mental health like mental i mean everyone has mental health Mm -hmm. mental illness yeah um and saying that like it's not because i feel like there's always like this like joke you know you see people being like oh like 
just don't be sad. Like, on the airport, <laughs> I try that. Never thought to give that one a yeah, go. It's like when you can't sleep and somebody's like, just go to bed. Literally, or like, I'm feeling anxious. It's like, well, don't. It's yeah, like, calm oh, down. True. God. <laughs> and I think it's, yeah, like, I think people need to understand that when people are, like, asking help for mental health or, uh, sorry, a mental illness, say, you know, it is depression or it is anxiety or whatever it is, <coughs> like, it's not... I want to get rid of it. It's I need to learn how I need to know how I can deal with this. Yes. Because it's going to be that's going to be with you forever. Forever. Much like I feel like when say you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic even if you don't drink, drink for 15 years. You're always an alcoholic because you still have those triggers in mm-hmm. you. Certain things are going to trigger you. For an alcoholic, it's alcohol. For you, it's it can be anything. It's a few different things. It's different yeah. things, you know. So buses uh-uh, not a fan. <laughs> Neither. But, <laughs> but, you know, like, it's... That's what people, I think, is a really important thing to note, is that it's not, I like, get rid of my depression, or I'm going to take a medication to get rid of my depression, or I'm going to do this to get rid of my depression. It's, I need to do something to help deal with it. Mm-hmm. It's an ongoing journey. That's the whole point. And there will be good times, there will be bad times. Mm-hmm. As long as you... Get the help you need when you need it. Yeah. That's what's important. And that's why I think the stigma around mental health is so messed up. Because it's like getting like asking for help. Yeah, because if people can't ask for help, then that's where the issue lies. Yeah. So people need to stop saying like, you know, the stigma just needs to go. Like that's all I can really say. Yeah. Because it's you know, if somebody breaks their arm, you've got a cast and people sign their name and rush forward to do that. Even me in primary school, getting absolutely bullied every day. I came to school with a sling and people wanted to sign it. Yeah. But like, and they didn't even like me. And then, <laughs> and then I say, oh, I'm depressed. And my high school friends bailed like straight yeah. off the bat. Because it was just too hard to deal with it. Like, that's not okay. Can't yeah. deal with that. But all you have to do is give me time. You know, say it's okay. Yeah. And then because of that, when it happened again, I didn't want to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to ask for help. Yeah. And I guess, like, dealing with something internally, people can't physically see it. Mm-hmm. So it's harder for people to deal with and understand when they, like, you know, if I saw you with the broken arm, I have never broken my arm, but I can understand what, I can feel like I can more imagine, like, you can more comprehend how that would feel yeah. because you can see it. But when you're, when you're, someone's like, I'm dealing with, you know, depression or I'm having, you know, an anxiety attack or something because we can't physically see that always. Obviously, you can see certain, you know, traits or whatever. But for the most part, you can't really see that. It's harder for people to, like, almost put themselves in your shoes. I know for me personally, like, that's kind of how I feel, like, empathy for someone is I – or, like, just in general life, like, I put myself in their position and that's more how I, like, learn how to deal with something or respond a certain way. And it's hard to do that. I mean, I feel like I do have, like, anxious times, but I wouldn't say that I've got, like, anxiety. I don't know. Is that, like, a weird thing for people to be like... No, no, no. That's... Like, for example, when you said buses... (laughs) When I would go be on the bus at school... Like, sorry, coming home from school, and someone would, like, sit next to me and cut me off, I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to ring it at this time... So that they'll like get their bag and stand up and <laughs> get out and the bus driver will get the, like, 
I would literally think about this the whole drive home being like, oh my God, when do I ring the bell to let him know to pull up my stop so that it's not too soon that he thinks it's the stop before. It's like not too late so that he like has to slam on his brakes and everyone's annoyed at me. And how like if someone sits next to me, I'm like, I literally would do this. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going crazy. That's anxiety so hard. And I'm like, and I think about it and I'm like, how do people just be like, oh, I'll just ring it whatever. You know? How are people literally like, it's fine. Ten seconds before pulling out, I'll just ding it. I'm like... But how? take that feeling and put it like every day of life. See, I can relate. I'm like, oh my God, you're on a bus every single day. And someone is sitting next to you and cutting off your chair every single day. And it's like a really busy bus and like there's people in the aisle too. So like, oh my god. You can't see the like row around you. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> I feel like anxious just thinking about it. Are you okay? That but no, but like the fact that you've said that really makes me understand what it must must be like because that is like the only I mean, obviously I have other times of anxiety, but that's something that I can prominently remember because I would catch that bus every day and I would go through those same thoughts every day. Think, like overthinking every little thing and like planning things in my head and being like, oh my God, I could miss the bus and I'll have to walk from the next stop and the next stop's here. Like literally that stuff plays in my head. So for you to say that that's what it's like every day, that really is like a bit of a <laughs> jolt, <laughs> an eye opener. It's exhausting. I'll tell you that much. But another example that I've seen is like, Having anxiety is like you're in a meeting and you're eating an apple and you're like, wow, everyone can hear me eating this apple. Oh my God, I'm going to stop eating the apple. Mm. But now I'm only holding half an apple. Now everyone's going to know that I'm only holding half an apple. So I'm going to finish eating this apple. Now I'm holding an apple core and I can't go put this in the bin because everyone's going to look at me and then if I go and put it in the bin, everyone's looking at me and then freak out. But then I have to wait for that person to go put their apple core in the bin. So then I know it's okay to do it, but then I can't do it straight away because that person's going to know that I'm following them and I was waiting for them to put the apple core away. And it's like that every day (laughs) about the most basic things. Yikes. So... Yeah. Like, even when I was doing my hair down today, I was, like, laying there, like, in the basin, and I, like, had my arms crossed, and I was like, oh, my God, because I've got my arms crossed, they're thinking I'm angry. And they're thinking I'm yeah. And I was, like, shutting my eyes, and I was like, oh, my God, they're going to think I, like, I'm really tired. Like, I was like, oh, is that embarrassing if they look at me and my eyes are closed? And then I'm like... But I don't want to look up and see them. Yeah, and then, like, I, then I'm, like, sitting there, and I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to think I'm rude. It's just my face. Like, I can't help that. And then I'm like... And I'm sitting there, like... Trying to smile. <laughs> like in the basin, just like with my treatment and just like. <laughs> I have that same anxiety at the hair but my other anxiety in that literal exact same situation is like, is everyone looking at me? Mm. Like, not just the person that's doing my hair, but is like, everyone going to be like, what's she doing? What's she got? Yeah. What's she thinking about? It's just, that is an awful situation. <laughs> no, I think that's super interesting because I feel like you like talking about anxiety, like, that's really interesting. I feel like people are going to understand that a bit more, what it's like. Because mm-hmm. that's like, no one's ever really explained it to me like that. Yeah, like sitting on a bus every day of your life. Oh my God. That's, <laughs> I'm going to cry thinking about that. That makes me really stressed out. Get that tattooed. <laughs> every day is a bus. <laughs> I'm going to make that like famous one day. <laughs> Having anxiety is like sitting on a bus and there's no way to get off it every day. (laughs) Literally. So I think something else that might be interesting to talk about is that obviously we had very different upbringings. Clearly. And we were in different households. I mean, I obviously dealt with like my dad not being around and my mum working a lot of the time. Not like that she was never around, but I feel like my brother and I had to obviously be quite independent, much like you. 
and being being similar in age and similar you know we're from the same family it's quite interesting how different we've grown up now that we're in our 20s because we've gone from the kids that people couldn't tell us apart literally sharing clothes and like planning our outfits to match Mm -hmm. and i wouldn't go to a party if you weren't going to be there and we were so close and so similar yeah and we are so different now that we're adults yeah it's funny as well because like obviously our mums were sisters doesn't mean they were close though no but they're like they grew up very different too mm-hmm. like they have complete they have completely different personalities and i feel like in some ways i'm a lot like my mum and in some ways you're a lot like your mum yeah, and like physically as well but obviously just like personality wise but yeah yeah we grew up so different from similar but also very different circumstances yeah just changed became different people yeah and um but it's kind it's kind of interesting that like the what like you're wearing pastel pink sitting there attractive i'm in a band t-shirt and ripped black jeans like i love that for you guys <laughs> uh, sometimes, I, sometimes i wear band tees um but do you listen to the bands <laughs> well actually i'll take that back i don't have a band tee i have a, two rappers t-shirts and i do listen to them so there you go I'm um or an emo band trip yeah but <laughs> <laughs> what is that all all time low all, t- all, all time low yeah <laughs> which is saying a lot because you reach an all time low yeah yeah emo band future Great. hearts yeah is that the band it's called future hearts no future hearts is the album and all time low is the band yeah got you all i thought was um actually i'm not even going to sing it <laughs> um anyway Shit. These people know you can sing. No, I don't sing anywhere except the shower <laughs> or my car. Um, the only people that know I sing are the people that pull up next to me at the lights. So being like, ah. <laughs> good. <laughs> Let's keep it that way. Um, yeah, but it's like quite interesting as well that like you obviously that now um, grown up and we both have taken negative situations. I don't want to say negative. I'm talking about my negative relationship that I was in. But we grew up in, you know, dealing with hard times and dealing with, like, a lot of pain. And we both turned that into positive platforms and a way to help people. A hundred percent. That's something that I find so mind-blowing about mm-hmm. us is we went from the children that wore the same outfits to barely talking to each other to now we are both using our platforms and our talents. Mm-hmm. To try and reach people. We are obviously reaching different people. Yeah. And we're obviously tell- talking about different things. But mm-hmm. we're, you know, trying something. Like, you studied at the same university I am. Very similar degree. Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I was doing journalism too. Crazy. Yeah. So we're not that different. It's just we're also incredibly different. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's almost like our journeys went so far apart. But we've almost, like, stayed. Full circle. <laughs> come back around but like we're still on very different paths and we're very different people but it's like our paths weren't that far apart that we could still like shout and be like hey i'm over here like you're doing awesome sweetie that's something i've always known i had you in my corner for Mm. like i could turn around and be like shit hit the fan and you'd be like same (laughs) we'll be able to talk about it yeah literally Mm. but yeah crazy crazy times (laughs) i'm very proud of you though Oh, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Have a little moment. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's actually quite interesting if you think about it that way. Like, we've both just 
decided to fight the odds and just help others and hopefully make a difference. I've done it in such a non-traditional way as well. Yeah. Like, people that would have gone through what we've been through would have gone to become, like, a psychologist, like, a social worker. or like You and I are like, let's tell the world to pull (laughs) their shit together. Yes, yes. (laughs) And I think, like, that's really cool that we've both been able to take bad situations and, like I said, like, rather than go down, you know, a bad spiral or a bad road... We've just like we've definitely obviously dealt with grief and you know go gone through rough times, but where we're at right now, you know, we're dealing with it, we're working through it, and we're in positive spaces and making positive change. Yeah. High five. <laughs> I heard <a> little maybe <laughs> just so everyone knows we did actually high five. So just before we wrap up this um, potty, <laughs> I need dinner. I'm starving. <laughs> Um, anyway, I just kind of wanted to wrap up the podcast and obviously just make sure that we don't leave it on such a negative, we're not we did, but I just want to make sure that people know that if you are going through, um, similar things to what we've spoken about, or you've dealt with similar things that we've spoken about, there is always help. There is always hope. There is always light at the end of a tunnel Mm -hmm. and you will get through this. And I think that. We didn't come on here to, you know, tell our sad stories. We came on here to use this platform as a way to hopefully inspire you, if you are going through this, to and show you that there is a way out and there is hope. And and it's not the drastic way out. No. It is the, the path that gives you a chance. Yeah. And it may not be, you know, a quick fix. But I think it's obviously going to like dealing with that and actually working through what you're going through is, I mean, even you said like you kind of had no emotions for a long time and then kind of hit this rock bottom and have had to deal with, you know, actually seeking professional help and, you know, I guess opening up to more people about what you went through. Um, Even strangers like opening up on your blog. I'm sure that's helped you just hearing good feedback and just being like, wow, like I'm actually helping people out there, keeps keeps you to keep going. Um, I'm so grateful the fact that I'm now getting opportunities I didn't think I was going to live to get. Yeah. And people say to me all the time, they're like, I just need it to be over. Like, I'm so tired of trying. And yeah. I was like, keep trying. It yeah. might suck for the next year too. Yeah. But it's not forever. Yeah. Like, and, you know, it is a journey and there'll be good days and bad days, but the good days are so worth it. Yeah. Like, every day that I see a dog walking down the street and I get excited is a day so much better than the days after my mom died because yeah. I feel excitement. I feel the happiness. Yeah. And that's something worth living for. Yeah. You know, I've got to see so many good movies, yeah. read so many books. And I've got to write so many more things than I ever thought I was going to write. And I've been able to help people I never thought I would have been able to help. Yeah. And it's all worth it. You've just got to keep trying. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Um, and, oh, my God, I keep, like, I keep literally getting entranced. I'm <laughs> saying, and I'm like, wait a minute, I had something, like, important to say. Um... All I can say is just, it's okay to ask for help. Please yes. ask for help. That's right. That's what I was going to say. Please ask for help. Um, you are never a burden on someone for asking for help. You are never, like, take wasting their time. You are never, like, taking up their space for asking for help. There are people around you that love you and would do anything to help you. 
Um, and I think also people that aren't struggling, you know, with a mental illness or, or have, you know, pretty good mental health, look at your circle, look at people around you. Not everyone is asking for help. Not everyone shows what they're going through. I myself have people around me that are dealing with their own mental illness and it's important to let them know that you are there for them. Ask them if they're okay, even if they seem like they're okay. Because even just asking someone that they're okay can just remind someone that they do have people in their corner and that they do have people that they can confide in and that's that's major. So literally asking that, using that three words, are you okay, can literally change someone's life. So And listen to yeah. what they reply with. Yeah. Make yeah. sure you ask the question and then sit and listen to the response. Yeah, absolutely. Even more important. Um, so I'm going to leave a bunch of um, different helplines or, you links know, and links and all that kind of thing in the show notes. Um, so please, if you need them, find um, the help. Well, obviously, I'm going to you know provide that help for you if I can. My DMs are always open. So are mine. Reagan's are always open as well. I will pop her um, Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> don't worry i got you <laughs> i'll pop her instagram in the show notes as well so please go show her some love um and yeah have a look at my blog while you're there yeah for sure her blog is linked in her bio on instagram and i'll also just pop pop it straight um as a link in the show notes as well um so thank you so much for watching like as always if you have any other um podcast ideas that you'd like me to do please let me know you can contact me on instagram at, at Riley I N G L I double S or at the Boss Babes Club podcast. Reagan, drop your app. <laughs> Reagan Lee R A E G A N L E I. Isn't there an underscore? No. Oh, oh at the end there is. <laughs> Don't forget the underscore. <laughs> Please. Um, uh, thank you so much for being on this podcast. This is good. Thanks I for having me. I know that you. it's not like you know the easiest topic to talk about, but. I really appreciate you coming on here and um, I think... I had a good time. I had a good time too and I just want to say your hair's gotten really long. Oh, you have no idea. This is the longest it's been since I was 12. <laughs> Literally, it's so long. I don't, I don't know. Because five it was five years ago you shaved it. Mm-hmm. That's five years. That's insane. Oh, I had it about this long you, when they yeah, cut it back cut it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it would have been a lot longer if I hadn't gone back to shoulder That's crazy. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys. Um, thank you so much for listening and as always... Bye. <laughs> Bye. Missing someone.